do praise you today. You're worthy, God. You're able to meet every need. You're able to heal every hurt. Your grace is sufficient to forgive every sin. Whatever the need, you are more than able. Church, where do you need a miracle today? Just cry out to God. Say, Lord, I need your help here. Lord, I need a miracle here. God, I ask you to intervene here. Name it. Name that area. Name that area in prayer. Believe him for it right now. Ask the Lord. He said, ask and you shall receive. In Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, as we worship now in giving, we're not going to pass an offering. There are boxes as you leave today, but there are so many ways to electronically give. So I encourage you online, those here, if you're able even right now, uh, go to the app, easy to give, text to give. We worship through our giving. Remain faithful in your tithes and offerings. And as you give today, be encouraged that your giving is helping to minister to people like Otis Sanchez Strong. Praise Lord. Praise Lord. I'm here to give my testimony this morning. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for listening to me this morning. I want to share my testimony with both services because I don't want anybody to miss out on real freedom this morning. I grew up in church. I probably slept on more church benches than I did beds. So two years ago, I became a drug addict. And it was, it was really hard trying to tell everybody what I had been hiding from, but I had to come clean. The day I went to rehab, God told me all I had to do was just get there. And I felt like the woman with the issue of blood, that all I had to do was get there and touch the hem of his garment. I found Jesus in rehab. But once I got to rehab and got back to my family and went back to work, something was still wrong. So God told me that my time was up at my current job. I filled out an app that night for the new job and they called me as soon as I got home that morning. But my marriage and my faith was still slipping away. My old friend Pride had started to come back. Pride, lust, and deceit. They were in my house. They was affecting my whole family. A year later, this little guy came to work with me. And I thought his name was Lance, but I later found out his name was Chance. <laughs> my wife had told me that um, on Father's Day morning, that she wanted a divorce. So I was real broken behind that. And I talked to Chance at work about it. I thought he was going to give me some real good advice, but he didn't. He gave me what I really needed. He prayed for me. He prayed for me that day, and it unlocked something in me. And he asked me to come to church with him 
but I was hesitant. And the reason why I was hesitant is because I was already hurt by other church people. So I guarded everything I had against it. So Chance, and Chance went to David to talk to him about his calling, but they ended up talking about me. So then David called me, and he didn't know me from Adam, but he cared. And I went to church, and my soul felt at home. God sent me Chance and his family and the reason why he sent them to me, because they were going through the same thing that I just came from. Drug addiction. I thank God for sending me here to live in hope. Living hope has unlocked something inside of me, AKA the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Please spend time with God. Cry out from your heart. Please pray for me and my family that we go through this storm. I know we're going to make it through this storm, but pray. This is the point. No matter what you go through, no matter what you go through, how hard it looks, through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Remember, the Holy Spirit ain't there for no reason. Thank you for listening to me. Maybe someone in this room could be truly free. Not worldly free, but truly free. I wanna say something to the second wind guys. It's a pink cloud that they tell you about. That pink cloud is, uh, is your worldly peace. You have a, you, you, you're gonna come to a point to where you can go forward or you can go backwards. You got three people talking to you. The old you, the one who's in the storm, and the new you. The old you gonna tell you it's easier to go backwards, in which it is. The second, the, the middle you is gonna tell you, let's, let's, let's keep going. But that, that, the guy on the other side, the new you, guess what he's gonna tell you? Just keep on going. Just keep on going. And guess who that, that new guy is? That's the Holy Spirit. Follow him. Don't go backwards. That's my testimony. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Amen. All right, children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed out that door with Miss Kathy. Rest of you, take out your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. The app has the sermon notes. Also encourage you, if you're new, and everybody really, to go to the app under register, fill out that welcome card that helps us know that you're here, and a great way to stay plugged in. How many college students are back? Let's see the hands of college students. Awesome. Good to have you guys back. Glad you're here today. By the way, it's a little loud up here on the stage. Maybe bring down the monitors a little bit. All right, let's stand in honor of God's word as we conclude Romans 16 today. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. It's sweet because there's still more in this book, and it's a little bitter because it's going to be hard to leave our great study of Romans. But if you've missed some of the weeks, I encourage you to go back. We have a podcast now, YouTube channel, Facebook, all of that. 
Today, it's Romans 16, 17 to the end. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Beloved, don't be naive. Don't be ignorant and easily led astray. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all, Mm. so that I can rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That verse will preach. (laughs) The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's good news, folks. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, as does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, now he was the scribe for Paul. Paul wrote it, but this was his scribe. Greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. That's good news, folks. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Some of you need some strength today. Some of you need some help today. Well, guess what? There is one who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of our eternal God. To bring about the obedience of faith. See, it's one thing to have faith, but it's another to have obedience with faith. Some people claim to have faith, but they don't obey. Obedience of faith to the only wise God. Aren't you glad our God is wise? He knows all. He knows how to solve every problem you have. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, now we come humbly before your word. We thank you for this awesome, inspired, inerrant book. And as we conclude this study, God, I pray that you will complete the good work you've begun through it, that you will accomplish what is most needed in this room and online. I believe with all my heart that you have work you want to do in our hearts, and may we be receptive through the enablement of your spirit today. We ask now for an anointing. We receive, we receive, we receive. Just say to the Lord, I want to hear from you. Just say that out loud. I want to hear from you, God. Speak to my heart. Change my life by the power of your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I believe that one of the most important things to do whenever reading God's word is ask yourself, what does this teach me about the heart of God? What does this teach me about the character of God, about the nature of God? Often we read the the Bible and the first thing we ask is, what should I do? That's a good question to ask. But I think it's more important to ask, what does this teach me about God? Because if we know God accurately, then that is the first step in responding appropriately. And so as we come into this last section of Romans, I want us to ask, what is the heart of God in this passage? And I see four things in this passage that I think is deeply on the heart of God. And the first is, God desires, God's heart in Romans, God's heart for us, God's heart for the church and this is a a kind of a tag on to last week, is unity. We talked about this last week, but first point today is that God has a heart for unity. 
God wants his church to be united. In John 17, Jesus prayed that that we may be one, that there be no divisions. And last week and this week and this verses that we'll look at in a minute, he, he, he admonishes against those who cause division. And beloved, we live in a day where there's so much division, and I'm not just talking politically, I'm talking in the church. Churches criticize other churches and attack other churches, and what's the old phrase? The church is the only uh, army that shoots its wounded. It's it's, It's a sad commentary. When Jesus prayed that we would be one, and Ephesians 4 and 3 says, be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. John 13, 34, it says that this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean that we agree on everything. Unity does not mean that we all cheer for the same sports team. Unity does not mean that we all vote the same. Unity does not mean that we agree on every little jot and tittle of doctrinal issues. We can differ on what? The non-essentials. And that's why our, our slogan here at Living Hope Church is this, unity in the essentials. Diversity in the non-essentials and love in all things. Essentials are those things that are most essential to knowing Jesus personally. It's the essentials of the gospel. And so here we see in verse 17 and 18, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. If people come in and cause division and cause strife, then it's the job of the leaders of that church to confront that in love. And if, if, if a person doesn't repent, then this is one of those things that actually is biblical justification for what is called church discipline. Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And so, again, it doesn't mean that we all have to dress the same and like the same music and all those things. But on the essentials of the gospel and maintaining unity and the mission of the church, we better be united. Amen? And he says here, if they cause division, they create obstacles. Contrary to what? The doctrine. See, doctrine does matter. We don't want to be so doctrinal oriented that we're just a bunch of theological eggheads and and we don't really serve and love and do the mission is to be word and spirit. (laughs) It's not word only, but word and spirit. It's not spirit only, but word and spirit. Doctrinal soundness is important because if you begin to drift doctrinally, you'll drift away from the one true God. Next week, Jonathan and I are going to start a series on worship. And one of the things we'll talk about next week is worship in spirit and truth. You can have spirit worship, but there's no truth. You can have truth worship, but there's no spirit. You need both. And here he talks about doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetite. So they're selfishly leading others astray, probably wanting to create a following. Usually, a divisive person is very prideful. Usually, a divisive person is prideful. They want people to agree with them. They want to believe that they have the the cutting edge insight on everything, and, and they want to create a following. And in this case, it was not for Jesus. It was selfish. And it says smooth talk. Boy, they, they, they can be smooth in their talk and flattery. They deceive, look at this, the end of verse 18. They deceive the hearts of who? The naive. The naive are the, the ignorant, often a young believer or a not established believer. They're, they're, they're that person that Scripture talks about is easily swayed by every wind of doctrine. Beloved, this is why you need to be grounded in the Word. This is why you need to be in a gospel-preaching, Bible-preaching church. 
so that if you err and you drift, you'll have others come around you that hopefully will, will show you your, your error and, and explain the way of God more accurately, like with, in the book of Acts it talks about that. This is why it's important to be in discipleship classes and small groups. So you're learning and growing and going deeper in your understanding of the Word of God and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, lest you be led astray. And I'm telling you, folks, we are living in a day where people are being led astray. We might be seeing what Matthew 24 talks about, the great falling away. It's unbelievable some of the statistics I hear today about what supposed Christians are believing. Like 70% of professing Christians that still think you can get to heaven by your good works. Folks, come on. If that's not the most basic teaching of the New Testament, you are not saved by good works. You are not saved by religion. You are not saved by baptism. You are not saved by going to church. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in Him alone. So I'm telling you, if you are not grounded in the Word, locked into a local church that preaches the Word, you are susceptible to being led astray. One of Satan's greatest tactics is divide and conquer. He can separate you and divide you. Ooh, you're more susceptible. That's what big animals do. They separate the one from the big flock. The lion separates he can get that one alone, man, ooh. Y'all been watching Shark Week? You know, man, the sharks, <laughs> I love Shark Week. And, and those sharks are an amazing creature of God. You know what's going to be cool about heaven? We're going to be able to swim with the sharks. And there'll be no danger of getting bit. I'm telling you, you are. You're going to be able to grab the fin of that thing and just go for a ride for a couple hundred years if you want. It's going to be awesome. But one of the things about Shark Week, they go after the seals, and they go after, they, they get a seal out there by itself. Oh, man, you seen those things? They just, man, blood's everywhere, and whoo, and it's got a feast. Well, that's Satan after you. If he can get you separated from the body of Christ, then you're more vulnerable to being attacked. Now, this heart for unity, I. I some of you that have been here a while, you get tired of hearing this, but I need to remind you, this is why here at Living Hope Church, especially in the fall, especially in an election year, we remind one another that one of the topics that we really discourage you from talking about on Sunday mornings is what happened the day before, football game, and what's coming up, election. So... We don't talk about sports. We don't talk about politics when we come together here. We talk about Jesus. We're focused on Jesus. We're focused on our relationship with God. Now, am I saying that you can't talk about that stuff? Of course not. I love talking about both of them. Go to Jittery Joe's and have a discussion. And if it's in love and constructive, go for it. But when we gather together, when we come in our small groups, when we come in our Wednesday night classes, when we come here on Sunday mornings, I don't want to go out there in the lobby and all I hear about is the Georgia game the day before or the election or whether you're going to vote this way or that. Just, just leave it in the parking lot. <laughs> okay? That will help us stay united. Number two, God has a heart for purity. We don't like to talk about holiness for fear of legalism, but there is a proper call to holiness in the Bible. In verse 19, it says, 
your obedience is known to all. Could that be said of you? Could that be said of Living Hope Church? Your obedience. They obey God. They don't obey God out of legalism. They don't obey God to get points with God. They don't obey God because they want to appear righteous and holier than thou. No, they obey God because they love Jesus. They love the gospel. They want to live in a way that's consistent with the character of their creator. Could it be said that of us? Your obedience is known to all. And when they blow it, you know, they do blow it, they sin, but then they quickly repent. We all fall short. We all blow it. But when we blow it, how quickly does it take you to repent? Then it says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Ooh. So the Bible over and over calls us to holiness. Book of Peter says, be holy for I am holy. Matthew 5 and 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Hebrews chapter 12 and 14 says that without holiness you will not see the Lord. In 1 Peter 1 and 16 it says that fleshly lust wage war against your soul. So fleshly lust, things that satisfy your flesh and make you feel good, if they're contrary to the will of God, they actually wage war against your soul. So sin is not just affecting your body. It will affect your inward soul. God calls us to purity, holiness. Holiness because we want to know God better. Holiness because we want to accurately represent God. Holiness because we want nothing to get in the way of our closeness with God. Sin will satisfy for a season, but it ultimately will hinder your intimacy with God. And so our motive for holiness is important. We should seek to want to live a holy life to honor the Holy One who saved us and made us holy in Jesus. Did you get that? We should seek to live a holy life because of the Holy One who created us and because of the holiness we have in Jesus as our true identity. Now, this verse 19 is really interesting. Be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Mm. Some people mistakenly think they need to experience sin in order to be culturally relevant. Well, I need to to go downtown and do the bar thing, and I need to, to get drunk so I'll know what drunkenness is like. I need to, to kind of experiment with sexual immorality because I want to be relevant. No, you don't. That's foolishness. He says, be innocent of what is evil. Well, I, I kind of want to get as close to the world as I can so I'll be able to relate. That's not what the Bible says. It says to be innocent of what is evil. Well, I need to experience drugs. I need to experience alcohol. I need, I need to experience sexual immorality. I need to experience gambling. I need to experience this and that and the other because I want to be culturally relevant. I got I to be able to relate to this world we live in. That's not what the Bible says. It says be innocent of what is evil. You don't need to know. You don't need to experience something to know that it's bad. I'll tell you how you know something. You know what to do and not do. It's right here. He's told you ahead of time to keep you from experiencing the negative, harmful consequences of sin. 
and, and some of the things that, one of the things that gripes me sometimes about how church is done is we, t- let me, I just want to say something to the young people. Let me tell you the testimonies that I most admire. Not the guy who did all this sinful stuff and then, you know, I got saved and I'm changed. I mean, that's a great testimony. But I'll tell you that, that that's easy to do. It's easy to sin. It's easy to go the way of the world. It's easy to go the way of Satan. What's more difficult, the testimonies I love that we ought to more exalt is the guy who gets, the kid who gets saved at eight years old or 10 years old and just consistently grows and follows Jesus and makes good decisions. That's a lot harder. So why do we exalt the guy who sinned big as if that's a great and more glorious testimony? I mean, we want all these testimonies. Don't get me wrong. But the guy I most admire is that kid who does, he's just faithful. And he doesn't drift, or if he does, he quickly comes back, but he's just steady and grows because that's a lot harder with the pressures that we live in today. It reminds me of the wealthy man who was hiring a a driver for him. He needed a chauffeur. He had meetings to get to. He lived along that place in California. I think it's Highway 1 or Highway 36. Both of them are windy and supposedly one of the most dangerous roads there is. And he needed to get to meetings really quick. So he's interviewing these guys for a driving position. And he says, now, how fast can you get me from here to here on these windy roads? And this guy says, sir, I'm going to get you there as quick as I can. And I may, I'll come, if I have to, I'll come to the closest to the edge as possible. But, but I'll get you there and I can drive 50 miles an hour around these turns and this and that and the other. And then the final guy that he interviews, he says, sir, I don't know how fast it's going to get you there. But I'm going to stay as far from the edge as I can. But I'll get you there safely. He said, you're hired. He was testing them. And don't we sometimes do the same in life? I want to get as close to the edge as I can without falling over. No, be innocent of what is evil. Because Satan is after you and me like a mousetrap. Stacy, come on up. He puts the bait in there. He puts the cheese. He puts that which will lure you in. He wants to get you as close to the edge as he can so that he can do this right here. Y'all pray for Stacy. I figured I, hadn't, I haven't had Stacy do enough in this church. And so I thought this would be just a really good next step for him to kind of reach that new level. New level of servanthood, brother. All right, so live stream, let's zoom in. Let's zoom in because Satan wants to bring you into his trap. And he will lure you in through your desires, through your appetites, through the wrong people that you're hanging out with, through those things in our culture that you say, man, I need to experience it. I know it's wrong. I know it's not wise. But I need to taste it. I got to experience You know, I'm just one of those people. I just have to learn by experience. Come on. Because this is what will happen when you get drawn in. And he's got you. And he brings you right into his trap. Next thing you know, wham! You've not only hurt yourself, you've hurt your testimony, you've hurt your relationships. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. And your heavenly Father loves you enough to want to help you avoid those negative consequences that come from sin. 
Holiness draws you into the heart of God. Holiness draws you into a deeper level of maturity. Holiness accelerates your testimony. Holiness helps you see and hear the voice of God more clearly. Holiness will allow you to experience God more deeply. I pray God gives you and me a passion for holiness because God is holy and because our new nature is holy. And because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you and me to be obedient, which leads right into point number three today. Why would he tag spiritual warfare right after this verse? Because it's Satan that's after you. So the third area that God has a heart for is for us to have victory. And victory here is victory over Satan, victory over demons. Victory over the powers of darkness. So right after verse 19, you have verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You say, when does he do that? Is this this now or is it in the future? Yes, (laughs) it's both. It's now if you rebuke him, and it's in the future when Jesus annihilates him. So it's a both and. There's victory now if you do what God's word says and resist and rebuke. And then, hallelujah, there'll be a day when Jesus will throw Satan and demons into the lake of fire forever. So he will not be annihilated while we are still here on earth, okay? I wish he were. I wish we could cast demons in, you could cast them into hell, and they're gone forever. Can't do that. Jesus will do that one day. This period on earth is a training ground. It's a spiritual boot camp where we are learning to overcome the powers of darkness to train us to co-reign and rule with him during the millennium. Read the book by Paul Bilheimer, Destined for the Throne. It'll rock your world. Destined for the Throne, Paul Bilheimer. So I'm going to show you a worldview diagram. This is really important. And I've made copies that are more thoroughly detailed that are available on the two tables as you leave, these two exits. But I've, I've just put a, done a simple version for you on PowerPoint. Look at this closely. The Bible says there are three realms. There's the realm of people. That's where we are now. There's the realm of angels and demons. That's what the Bible calls heavenly places. Not the heaven. That's the realm of God, the third layer. But heavenly places is the atmosphere around us. It would be anywhere between here and the heaven. It, you know, we talk about planets, heavenly bodies. Okay, so it's the atmosphere around us. If you want a great novel that explains this, Frank Peretti, um, uh, This Present Darkness, great novel, explaining that third level, that middle level. Had a professor in seminary that that called it the forgotten middle, the neglected middle, the, the area that most people just don't think about enough. It's the realm of angels and demons. Now, the Bible says that God reigns in the heavens. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, Far above, Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And that's referring to demons. So Jesus is reigning at the right hand of the Father. He defeated sin, death, and Satan when he died and rose again. Amen? He won the victory. Now that victory is now yours and mine if you're saved. Look at this next slide. You and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's what Ephesians 2, 6 says. 
You may be physically here on earth, but you are spiritually seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You say, that sounds too good to be true. Are you going to believe the Bible or not? This is what the Bible says. Are you going to believe who you are and where you are? You may be here right now, seated at 2150 Lexington Road, but spiritually you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Therefore, look at this next diagram. Because of that, you and I in Christ, if you're saved, have authority over demonic spirits. You have authority. You don't have more power than them, but you have authority. God has more power than them, but you have authority over them. A policeman does not have power to stop a car on his own. But when he stands in the street, he's got the badge, he has the authority to hold up his hand, and the, and the car stopped. If you come with a search warrant, you have the authority to go into that home. You may not have the power to kick the door down, but you have the authority to enter because you come with a search warrant. You and I, if you're in Christ today, have authority over the powers of darkness. This is why the Bible says, look at these verses, Luke chapter 10. It says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us, 1 Peter 5, right after, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but resist him. Don't stand up to his... Mm, don't let me cuss, Lord. Don't stand up to his junk, to his lies, to his attacks. You can resist him, firm in the faith. Faith in whom? Jesus. James 4, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's a promise just like John 3, 16. Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God that you may stand firm. Stand, 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 four times in Ephesians 6. So beloved, where do you need victory? Where do you need to get more aggressive in your faith to stand up against the of the enemy where do you need to resist that temptation where do you need to resist that lie where do you need to take that thought captive where do you need to resist that shame and condemnation that he's trying to bring against you where do you need to say to satan you know what yes i did do that in the past but that's under the blood of jesus and i'm a new creation in christ jesus you need to stand in your identity. You need to stand in the grace that you have. You need to stand in the authority that you have. Quit taking so much crap from the enemy. Quit taking it. You don't have to take it. It's time we stand and we link arms together because together we are stronger than we are individually. Stand firm. Finally, God has a heart for maturity. He wants us to grow and mature, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, to him to bring about the obedience of faith. Several times in this short section, he mentions obedience. Your obedience is known to all. And here, your obedience of faith. Well, that means that they are growing and maturing. Your obedience is known to all. You're, you're growing mature. You're advancing in your relationship with God. That's what God wants. God wants you and me, beloved, to grow. 
We see this in 1 Peter 5. It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. In Hebrews, it talks about you, you're still drinking milk when you ought to be eating meat. And then he says, some of you, you should be teachers by now, but I'm still having to teach you the basics of the faith. Hebrews chapter 6, he says, leave the elementary teaching. 1 John 2, 12 and 14, he talks about, I write to you children, I write to you young men, I write to you fathers. Now, a spiritual child is a new believer. You understand that they're still drinking milk. You don't expect a, a newborn to start walking yet. <laughs> my, my, my second grandson's just started walking. He's almost a year old. But when he was two months old, we didn't, start, we didn't spank him because he couldn't walk. That'd be ridiculous. And God realizes that spiritually, it takes time to grow. So you have spiritual infants in the church, and man, you just help them to know God and know how much they're forgiven. You don't pile a whole bunch of deep theology on a new believer. Now you've got to study Calvinism and Arminianism. Come on, let's start getting into the end times prophecies and the pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial, pan-millennial. It's going to all pan out in the end. You know, you, just don't, you, don't, you don't get into all that stuff with a new believer. Help the new believer just love God. But then you need to advance to a young man and then ultimately to a spiritual adult. And that's what I love about the church is you have people at all levels. Here's my question for you. Where are you at and are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you doing those things that you need to do to advance your walk with God? Because I'll tell you what, for a person to grow physically, they have to eat. They have to drink. They have to exercise. If they just sit around, never eat, never drink, they're going to die. And there's a lot of Christians that just sit around. They don't do anything. Let me, let me tell you what I believe are, the, are, are, are some very helpful things. Let's pretend this is a table, and these are four legs. I believe there's four key aspects that we need to do to grow. The Word. Man, you've got to be in the Word to grow. Prayer. You've got to be spending time with God in prayer, talking and listening. And then here, you've got fellowship. Being with other believers, because He hasn't made you to make it alone. You need the help of others. And then this one, service. Using your gifts. That's the exercise. Serving in some way. Word, prayer, fellowship, serving. That will help you grow. Now, there's one more secret to grow. So I'm challenging you today. Are you doing the things that you need to do to grow? Are you in the Word? Are you praying? Are you fellowshipping with others? Are you in a small group? Are you connecting with others? And are you serving? Which leg of your table might be shorter that needs to kind of be lengthened a little bit? <laughs> but there's another aspect right here in this passage. One of these hidden manna. Did you catch it? Did you see it? It's so important. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. You see, the one cool thing about spiritual growth is there's God's part and our part. We play a part, those four things. But we can't ultimately produce fruit. We can't ultimately make ourselves grow. Who does that? God does. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's your part. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's God's part. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation. Do that which is necessary to grow. But depend on God as you do that. Rest in God as you do that. Look to God as you do that. Because he's the one who's able to strengthen you. 
And, and that, that gives us joy as we grow. Because like, God, I can't ultimately change my heart. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my desires. I need you to give me that motivation. I need you to give me that power. I need you to give me that strength. And God, I look to you. So here's a verse that I have found. It's one of the key verses to spiritual growth. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to flesh this out as we do the series on worship. As we behold the glory of God. This is your vertical focus. You're beholding God. You're getting to know God. You're learning more about God. His power. His wisdom. His strength. His enablement. His will. You're focusing on who he is. Because here, see, here's why people a lot of times have frustration in their Christian life. They're too focused on themselves. They're, they're even too focused on their problems, your, your problems and, and your faults and your shortcomings. Now, there's a place for all of that. But I'm telling you, if you're focused more on you and your problems and, and where you're struggling and your temptations, you're not focusing on what you need to focus on. Focus on God. Put your eyes on him. Because it says here, as we behold the glory of God. What happens when we behold the glory of God? We are being transformed. From one degree of glory to the next. That means one degree of Christ-likeness. To another degree of Christ-likeness. To another degree of maturity. From the child to the young man to the father. We're being transformed by His Spirit. It's God's Spirit who produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's God's Spirit who convicts you of sin. It's God's Spirit who restores your soul. It's God's Spirit who empowers you to resist temptation. And so there's this beautiful, mysterious partnership between God and us when it comes to maturity. Make sure you're doing your part and rest and trust in God doing His part. That is so important when it comes to maturity. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. Let me give you a quick review of this great book of Romans as we wrap it up today. Because I want you to understand this book as a whole. And if you've not been part of the entire study, here's a very simple outline of the entire book of Romans and where we've been in this great journey. In the first chapter, we learn that righteousness is expected. It's required because God is holy. In chapter 3, we saw that righteousness is missed because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that chapter also further shares that it's not by works of righteousness that you can remove that sin nature. There's nothing you and I can do on our own to remove that sin barrier between us and God. But the good news in chapters 4 through 11 is righteousness is provided. Jesus Christ came and he paid the sin debt. He paid the divine price for us to be forgiven. He took your sin upon himself. He bore the wrath of God for you and me so that forgiveness could be granted, salvation could be given, and you get saved by simply placing your trust and faith in what he did, not your goodness, not your religion. You trust in what Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. And when you do that, the Bible says you get born again. You get saved. You get forgiven. You get reconciled to God. And you're given a new nature. You're given the very righteousness of Jesus. And because of that righteousness that you've been given as a gift from God, then chapters 12 to 16 is righteousness expressed. It's living out what you already have. 
You love others because you're loved. You forgive others because you're forgiven. You live holy because you're holy. (laughs) You're obedient because God has put himself in you through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So everything that we are to live out is because of what we have already been given in Christ. So where are you at today? Beloved, where are you at? First of all, are you saved? If you're not saved today, you need to receive Jesus. You need to receive Christ in your life and get born again. And at that very moment, the very presence and power of God comes to indwell you, and he changes you from the inside. If you're a Christian today, are you obedient? Are you living a holy life? Is there areas of your life that you know displease God? And today, he's calling you to repent. Repentance is a good thing. It's gotten a bad rap. But repentance is a wonderful word because repentance means you turn from that which displeased God to that which pleases God. You receive forgiveness and renewal when you repent. So repentance just means a turning, a changing of the mind, a changing of the direction. And beloved, we should repent every day. Repentance should be a daily thing that we as believers do. Are you doing that which is necessary for growth? Maybe some of you realize today, some of you watching online, you realize that you've been negligent. You haven't been doing those things which are needed to grow. What is it God is saying to you today? Beloved, I'm going to call you during this final song that we do. I'm going to call you to the front for many things today. And this is a wonderful thing to do, to, to, to repent, to turn, to pledge allegiance to God, to say, God, I need to, 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 to take a new step forward. I need to, maybe you've been flirting with sin. You've been flirting with evil. Maybe that aspect of today's passage is convicting to you today, to be innocent of what is evil. And some of you college students, you're coming to a new semester, a new surrounding, a new city, and man, it's got the lights and the glimmer and all the attractions. That downtown just pulls at you. Am I saying it's a sin to go downtown? No, but I'm saying a lot of sin happens downtown. <laughs> So, you know, just be careful. Why go into an area where often it leads to things that grieve the heart of God? What's God saying to you today? Let's just get quiet before the Lord. Worship team, come up, please. Let's just begin to lay our hearts before God. What is the Lord saying to you today? Oh, his word is so clear. Maybe you just want to get on your knees right where you're at at home or in between the rows here in this room. Maybe you need to come forward. Just open the altar now if you need to come and just begin to pray and seek the Lord. Don't let your salvation be in question, beloved. If there's any doubt whether you're truly saved, give your heart to Christ today. Receive Him. Receive Him. Where do you need to take some additional steps to grow? What do you need to repent of today?
Beloved, view repentance as a beautiful thing. Where do you need to take authority over the powers of darkness? Where do you need to begin to pray and say, I resist you, Satan. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. That's a promise. You come and you begin to pray as we sing to the Lord. This song, folks, is a worship song, just giving your heart to God. It's saying how much you love the Lord, how much you want to live for Him. Engage, engage from your spirit in worship. Come and pray at the altar if you need to.